Peter Hill is um, going to seminary this fall, as well as taking on a position at a church as a part-time youth pastor. That all begins uh, in the next bit here. And uh, one of the ways that we wanted to, as a church, help him uh, with that transition and that time is provide him some resources that could be of assistance to him going forward. Uh, one of the, the tools that I've used in my ministry is a software, um, Bible software called Logos Bible Software. And uh, we are getting uh, Peter his own, um, his own software that he'll be able to get on his computer and have access to on any, any device. Once you have it, it's on, put it on a tablet, put it on multiple computers. You can put it on your phone if you wanted to, if you wanted to study from your phone for some reason. Um, nevertheless, it is, it's been a, a valuable resource uh, for, for me, and I think it will be for, uh, for Peter as well. So from our church family. Peter's been with us for a few years. We're super excited for him. We have been blessed for uh, having him with us. And uh, we've asked him if he'd come preach uh, one more time here as, uh, as our intern. And uh, it won't be the last time he preaches here, but uh, last time he's going to preach here as our intern. So, bless him, brother. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Um, yeah, that software is really cool. I've looked at it before. Um, it's, it's really cool software. I'm, I'm really appreciative of it. You could say I'm even thankful, which is fitting that we're talking about thankfulness tonight. You like what I did there? Yeah, I know. Um, so again, yes, we're talking about authentic thankfulness tonight, and believe it or not, it was actually kind of tough um, to even come up with a topic. This is uh, my last uh, kind of time preaching here as a full-time member, and it's a, it's a one-off, and so it's kind of hard to Yeah, I'd hope if I turn my mic on. Here we go, eh? Hear me now? Just to recap, we're talking about thankfulness tonight, if you couldn't hear me before. All right, thankfulness. All right, thankfulness is, is, is huge in our culture. Again, uh, one of the best holidays and Thanksgiving that we have. Uh, but we also see the, the idea and even the word of, of thanks being twisted as well. Um, like, like a lot of things in our world, um, Sin has affected it, and we can see the sin um, in thankfulness as well. Uh, whether you said thank you to someone after you've, you've used them in, in a sinful way, or if you've been a member of my family and say something super obvious and you reply in a very sarcastic tone, thank you, Captain Obvious, right? Hopefully you've heard that before. That shouldn't be new ammo for you to use against someone, all right? Just, just so we're clear. Um, so we see that the idea of thankfulness uh, can be twisted. Um, the thing that, so we use it to either uh, prop ourselves up or even to demean other people. 
And so we're going to look at a, kind of a different kind of things tonight, uh, authentic kind of things tonight. And so if you want to flip over to Psalm 9, uh, we're going to be in there in verses 1 and 2. Again, it's Psalm 9, 1 and 2. And we're going to look at the idea of, of thankfulness, right? Now that we know it's a little bit more nuanced than at first glance, um, we're going to look at Psalm 9, 1 through 2. It reads in the ESV, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And so through these verses, we will look at the cause and effect relationships. All right, so the first one we'll look at is the call to reconcile. All right, the call to reconcile, which then leads us to the call to recount, which then leads us to the call to rejoice. And so before we go into authentic thankfulness from the passage in Psalm 9, uh, we'll look uh, kind of the context surrounding uh, Psalm 9. Psalm 9 was written by David. And while we don't know exactly when he wrote this, um, some scholars think he wrote it after the very popular Bible story of, of David versus Goliath. And now we can probably uh, all guess the outcome if you don't know of the battle with the context of the, the very victorious and thankful tone that David has. Uh, but if you don't know, here's your spoiler alert. If you want to go watch the movie about it or read the Bible about it, go ahead. Uh, but, but David defeats the giant, right? He defeats the giant in a shootout in overtime, and he wins. He wins the battle. And so when we look at David went through, his expression of thankfulness is very clear in his writing. It's very obvious. And in this particular passage, uh, David writes in a, a pretty interesting style. Um, it's kind of a neat style looking at it uh, through a literary lens. And we'll see this more as we dive into the passage, but through the first line feeds into the third line. All right, so our first line, our, our cause, right? Our, the, to have a cause and effect relationship, you, you kind of need a cause. And so our first cause leads into the following three lines, which are the effects of that cause. And so our first line is an introspective revelation. That introspective revelation leads to an outward expression. And so our first look is at the first call, and that is the call to reconcile. All right, the call to reconcile is seen in Psalm 9-1-A. Psalm 9-1-A reads, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. And so again, if we understand this idea of context, this idea of David versus Goliath, David defeating Goliath, uh, it's, it's pretty obvious why David would say this, right? David just won a huge battle for the Israelites, defeated the Philistines. Um, it, was, it was a huge deal. But yet, David's response is out of humility. He says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Another idea before we get too much farther is, is actually this idea of thankfulness. What does this actually mean? And this word means to have a deep sense of gratitude for someone or something. Hopefully from this place of humility. And so we see this with David. And David is expressing his gratitude to God because he knows that God is actually the one who secured the victory. It wasn't just David. It was God who was in control of it. He was the one who was able to let David win. This also just isn't a cursory or, or casual thanks either. David pledges his gratitude with a comment, my whole heart. So not only does David just thank God, but also places utter dependence upon God. And we see this dependence on God because God is the only one who has control over anything, over what happens at all. We see that God is the creator. He's the ultimate authority. He's the ultimate authority over Israel and ultimately over the entire world. 
David sees this, sees this concept and honors God with his whole beating, his whole being. Uh, but but what, is, what does the modern day Christian do? How we're in a much, much different circumstance. Uh, we're not battling nine foot giants. We're not slinging uh, rocks at people. So what do we do? And so as David looked at God, creator of the universe and supreme deity over Israel, in humility and gratitude, David knew that God had a plan for redemption, to redeem his people. And as Christians, we see the shadow of that. We look back towards the cross, back towards the plan of redemption. We now see Jesus while he was looking forward to the Messiah. So not only do we now have the opportunity to worship God as creator, but we also get to worship God through our Savior. We see this fact in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. That reads, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, and so that you by his poverty might become rich. Or we see earlier, even in 2 Corinthians 5.21, pretty much the same fact. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what do we see here? We see God in the form of Jesus sacrificed himself for you. He sacrificed himself for you. How does this not lead us to a heart of thankfulness? And not just a superficial level, but a deep, heartfelt, I mean, more like heart-changing, right? It's actually heart-changing. That because of his sacrifice, we're now given life. We're given eternal life. So why wouldn't we worship God with our whole heart? He has given so much up for us that it's, honestly, it's only reasonable that we would give our lives back to him. And kind of on this concept of, of teaching and reconciliation, um, I want to say thank you. Um, this, is my, this is kind of my last night, and so I, I need to say thank you to a few people. And to start with, uh, I want to thank my parents. Uh, my mom and dad, if you don't know who they are, Tim and Lisa Hill, um, thank you. Thank you for being uh, broken people. And I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, um, but that through your brokenness, you allowed Christ to supplement you. That you, even though you didn't know all the answers, oh man, I'm getting more like my dad every second. <laughs> Gotta hold it together. Um, that even though you didn't know all the answers, you always pointed me to or taught me from the one who did. Uh, thank you for all the great theological discussions that we had at the oven or at work or in the car. Even though I'm pretty sure you guys were annoyed at me, uh, when I'd flip the tables and ask you what you learned in Sunday school, um, thank you for showing grace and mercy to me. Uh, and also thank you for instilling discipline in me when needed. Thank you for supporting me, and uh, most of all, thank you for serving Jesus. Um, to my siblings, uh, thank you for humbling me when I became too prideful. You did that way too often, I think, but thank you for it anyways. Uh, thank you for all the fun we had. Uh, even though I was the youngest and annoying, uh, I was greatly appreciated to be involved. Thank you for providing helpful life advice. Thank you for the deep, deep theological discussions we had. I'm a real fun uh, person at parties, as you can tell. And uh, thank you for supporting me. And most of all, thank you guys for serving Jesus as well. And probably most importantly, thank you, Allie. Uh, my wife for 11 months, two days, and approximately two and a half hours. Yeah. Not counting, it's approximately. Uh, thank you for loving me and supporting me. 
Uh, thank you for your patience through my shenanigans, my inconsistencies, my faults, my failures, and my sometimes dumb sense of humor. Thank you for being an amazing wife. My life wouldn't be nearly as enjoyable without you. And uh, most of all, thank you for loving me like Jesus did. Thank you, Adam. Uh, but let's get back to the text, shall we? Uh, we see that verse 1a is an is a introspective uh, personal call. That's a call to reconcile with what God has done for us and to exhibit a complete sacrifice of our own heart, our own will, our own desires, to serve something greater because of the salvation that's been given to us. We know that through the Christian life is not isolated to just this one act of salvation, though. Meaning that while salvation is the center point or the heart or the beginning of the Christian life, uh, there are many attributes that should grow from this new heart. Now, we're not saying here that you need anything other than salvation uh, to be saved or get, you, get into heaven. We're not saying that. That's false. There's only one way. It's through Jesus. But there should be evidence. There should be evidence of heart change. There should be evidence of a Christian walk. And so there are actually many attributes that a Christian should, should exhibit after salvation, but the one we want to focus, focus on right now, and remember, we have this cause and effect relationship that we, saw, that we see here. And so because of our call to reconcile, because of our call to reconcile to God with a deep sense of gratitude, with a deep sense of thankfulness for what he's done for us, we then see the call to recount. And we see this in Psalm 9, 1b, and it reads, I will recount of your wonderful deeds. So to recount means to tell, to tell of or to give an account of. Now if we look at the life of David, we can see that his life really does display the fruit of this fact. Uh, David shared what God did in his life. I mean, we're actually reading it and studying it right now. Many of the Psalms are written by David because of what God has done for him and, and because of his testimony. And David just doesn't reference his own personal relationship. He references the history of Israel and the historical significance that God has played in his life and in, in the world's history. But again, what does that have to do with us today? Uh, many of us are not great writers. Uh, we're not great orators either. Uh, plus, I mean, we're not being controlled by the Holy Spirit writing, writing things either. So where, where does this leave us? Well, remember, this is an effect, right? This is because of something else. It was caused by something else. And this something else is our new heart. Our new heart because of what God has done for us. So what does this lead us to? Well, this leads us to, first of all, have a desire to gain more knowledge about God. To, to learn more about what God has done for us. Learn more about what the Bible has to say on, on living a Christian walk. But it also should lead us to tell people. It should cause us to share this news with people. To tell people our story of redemption. And to point people to the Redeemer himself. We all probably are familiar with the passages at the end of Matthew, the, um, where it says to go out and to make disciples, to teach them to observe all things. So we see that we are called to go out and share our faith. And there is uh, one thing I want to bring to you guys. Is there, there's, a, there's a popular quote out there, and it states, preach the gospel, but when necessary, use words. Now we see this as a, as a good sentiment, but ultimately this quote fall short of the, the actual goal. This quote tells us that people will come to know Jesus by our actions. What I'm not saying is that our actions don't matter. They do. But, we, I mean, we are called to, by God to live a right and moral life. 
and we do see people become intrigued uh, by how we act. But the fact of the matter is that living rightly will not bring people to Jesus. It does not save another person. Our actions will not save anyone else. That, that person needs to audibly hear what the Bible says. Just like all of us, when we, when we heard the gospel, we heard the gospel. We were taught by someone, by the Bible. We read the Bible. We read words. We learned from the word. So people need to hear the word. People need to understand the word. And that's what we're here for. As Christians, we're called to go out and make disciples. We're called to teach other people. If we don't teach people how to live rightly, and if we just act it out, what we're really preaching is legalism. We're preaching that actions are the thing that save, not Jesus. So we need to be really careful and really diligent to find people, to talk to people, to speak to people, because that is what God has commanded us to do. And in this vein, I like to thank some people. Um, there's been a lot of people who have taught me, and I'm very appreciative of them. And I'm just going to uh, hit the three major hitters here. And that's Pastor Wigan, Pastor Mark, and Pastor Chris. Uh, as most of you know, I've been involved in an internship at this church for three years. I got to learn a lot from these guys, spent a lot of office hours with them, um, teaching, uh, training, and, and doing practical ministry. I'm so happy for them. To Pastor Wigan, thank you for your good consistent doctrinal teaching, um, whether it be in your office, um, learning about all kinds of things, for all your notes that you shared with me, I, I really appreciate that, for your consistency and devotion to the Word of God, not to the tradition, but to what God has to say for us, and just the, the overall wisdom that's imparted to me. I just really appreciate um, you helping me, and I, I'm really thankful for that. To Pastor Mark, for your ministry as a youth pastor and associate pastor, uh, you were my youth pastor growing up, and I am so thankful for the ministry that you have given to me, as well as that in your associate pastor. I, I thank you for the good gospel discussions that we've had uh, in your office over books. It's been a blessing to me. It's helped me grow in my understanding of the gospel, and I thank you so much for that. And also, uh, probably one of the biggest things is showing me that Jesus is throughout the whole Bible, not just the New Testament, that the Bible is about Jesus. Um, the whole Bible is about Jesus. And thank you to Pastor Chris as well. Um, for one, for letting me be a part of the youth ministry, for giving me some, some practical application, some practical use in that. Um, you probably could have left me inside and life would have been a lot easier. Um, but you didn't. You got your hands there with me, and I really appreciate that. Uh, also, just the life advice, the talks that we've had, being an accountability partner to me. Uh, I really appreciate um, just the investment you've had um, into me. And I thank you as to the church. Um, I mean, they say it takes a village to raise a child, and I mean, you guys all had a part in helping me um, from Awana. I guess that's a bad example because my parents were the Awana uh, commanders. Um, but for Sparkies with the Elfmans through Sunday school, uh, through supporting me even financially through the internship, uh, through um, praying for me, uh, praying for Allie and I both as we um, are moving on to this next stage. Uh, you guys mean a lot to me, and um, I'm just so blessed to have a, a good, solid church family, and I thank you so much, and I thank God so much for having me. All right, let's get back to the text, right? So, now let's look at verse 2. All right, this is our third R word, R word. You guys noticed that? I did the, the great Baptist thing of three R words. If you didn't notice it now, you, you notice it now, right? Don't you guys like that? That's what I learned over three years. 
is to do three points with them all starting with the same letter. And so our third R word is rejoice, right? It reads in Psalm 9-2, I let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. So there is a call from David to be glad and to be joyous. And we see why David urges us and urges people to do this. I mean, if you look at his life in the immediate context of him uh, defeating Goliath, again, this huge deal that he was able to be a part of, as well as his life overall, uh, being a man after God's own heart, or even, even farther, we see uh, God taking care of Israel, uh, leading Israel, leading Israel from bondage in Egypt, and taking care of Israel. So there is many reasons that David points to being glad and to being joyous. David sees God's working in his life and urges people to follow God. We also see the same sentiment uh, being spoken to by some of the people in the New Testament, by Paul. Uh, we see in Philippians 4.4 and also in 1 Thessalonians 5.16-18. And respectively, they read, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And 1 Thessalonians is rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All right, so we saw these four distinct, these four separate verses all about rejoicing in God, all about being glad in what Jesus has done for us. But really quick, I want us to take a detour, all right? And I'm going to lay out three different scenarios, and I want you to try and see yourself in them, okay? All right, so the first one, you're at your, you're at your place of employment, all right? And you always work with this one person, and they are not a good employee. They, they bumble around, uh, they're forgetful, uh, they, they fax things when they're supposed to copy, or they copy things when they're supposed to fax. Right? They're, they're lazy, oftentimes they're just mistake prone. Or, next scenario, you're, you're driving, right? Driving along, cruise is on at 60 or, or 55, or wherever your pleasure is, and someone pulls out in front of you. And so you slam on the brakes, and while you're slamming on the brakes, somehow magically does this always happen, your hand just kind of flies up and hits the horn. Right? I've seen people do that. I don't know how it happens. This must be like the force of braking makes your hand go forward. Right? Or, uh, this has happened to me a few times at college. People will be texting. They'll be down on their phones, walking, 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 and bam, they run into you. Now, it's kind of a minor inconvenience, but it's really annoying when people are just not paying attention. Right? They're self-absorbed in their phones, and it's it's just annoying, or, or even if people are driving on their phones, right, the danger that that can be when they're just in their own little bubble. All right, we see these things, and oftentimes our response to these people is uh, we can get angry at the person who doesn't know what they're doing. Uh, we really get angry at the people who pull in front of us while driving. Uh, even if it's a mild annoyance, it's still an annoyance, and we really kind of don't like the person who's self-absorbed in their own little world. But what I want to do is, is kind of flip the script for you. What if we see ourselves in that position? What if we see ourselves as the employee who's, who's mistake-prone, who maybe gets things wrong, who trips up sometimes, who sometimes forgets? Uh, what if we're the, the driver um, who pulls out in front of the person, who maybe, maybe it was blocked and they couldn't see, and so they pull out in front of you? 
or you fall in front of someone else. Or what if you're the person who just got a really important text or email and you had to get somewhere and you're looking at your phone and, and, and bump into somebody? Right? These things could happen. Right? Well, what if we look at this on a, a, as a broader scale? Right? What if we look at this as, as humanity? What if we see humanity as a person who's forgetful or lazy or mistake-prone? What if we get humanity as a person who's ignorant of their surroundings, who doesn't look out at anywhere else? Or, or, or humanity is self-absorbed. They're only into what they think. Right? What if we see ourselves as those people? What if we see, ourselves as, what if we see humanity as these kind of characteristics? Right? But then we see another person. We see Jesus. Right? We see Jesus there. What's Jesus' response to the person, to the employee who's lazy, mistake-prone? Does Jesus, would Jesus get angry? Would Jesus answer in malice or be mean to that person? No. Or the person who, who pulls out, who's ignorant of their surroundings, is, is Jesus going to lay on the horn or, or pass the person and be real mean to them? Probably not. What about the person who's self-absorbed only in their own things and, and doesn't really care about anything else who, who makes your life more of a hassle? What's Jesus' response to that? Well, the truth is that we are those people. We are self-absorbed. That's the sin nature. We are sometimes ignorant of our surroundings. We also mess up. We sin. Even if you're a Christian here today, you still sin. You mess up. You forget. You're lazy. You, you don't study the Bible as much as you should. You do these things. You lie. Things happen, and, and sin happens. So yet, how do we see Jesus respond to these things? Well, we see that Jesus still loves us. That's the point. That's our call to rejoice. We rejoice always. We give thanks in all circumstances. Because why? Because of what Jesus has done for us. If we remember this cause and effect relationship, let's go back to our cause. Why are we thankful? Why are we thankful? We give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. That's what David tells us. So why do we give thanks? Well, we give thanks because of what Jesus has done for us. That Jesus, that he put himself in our spot on the cross. He gave up his life so that we may have life. And so because of that, Christian, if you're here tonight, rejoice. Rejoice that you have life. Rejoice that you have been saved. Rejoice that, that Christ didn't fire you as an employee, didn't honk his horn at you as you drove by, he didn't knock your phone out of your hands and tell you to look what you're doing. No, he gave up his life, his right away, his, his ideas, his, his kingdom, so that you may have life. We understand that as Christians, though, today, we still have tribulations. We still have trials. Uh, there's still pain. There's still sin in this world. But there is good news. Um, Romans 8.28. Uh, we interviewed Pastor for a podcast, and he brought up this verse uh, as one of his favorite verses. And um, looking through this, I got a better understanding of why. And it reads, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who who are called according to his purpose. Man, how do we not have a, a chance of rejoice at the fact that all things work together for those who love God, that God is in control of what we know, what we have, and that he loved us so much for that. 
So we looked tonight at Psalm 9, 1 through 2, and we saw three calls. We saw this cause and effect relationship. We saw that the first is a call to reconcile. Right, we see that through what Jesus has done for us, that the only reasonable response is to show a deep-seated sense of gratitude and that we give our lives back to him. The second call is to recount that by seeing what God has done for us, we can then go and share what has happened with other people. And the third is a call to rejoice. We are called to rejoice because what God has done for us and, and thank him for what he has done for us and to be glad for what he's done for us. And so tonight, again, Christian, be thankful. Be thankful that you have a God who loves you, that you have a God who sacrificed his life for you, that you may have life. And friend, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you also have a reason to be thankful. God loves you. God loves you the same as he loves a Christian. But the fact is, is that there is still consequence to sin. There is still penalty to sin. That you can be thankful in the fact that Jesus paid that penalty for you. That's all it takes is believing in Jesus and that you may have eternal life. So tonight, we can be thankful in what God has done for us. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for being a good God. We thank you for being a God who loves us, who humbled himself, um, who became human, and as a human who died, gave up his own life so that we may have life. Lord, help us never to forget that fact. Help us to never diminish that fact. Help us to live that, live that fact out. That because you died, we may have life. Um, Lord, personally, I thank you for, for being involved in this church. I thank you for the good, godly leadership that we have. And I just pray as, um, even in this period of transition, as Pastor Mark takes over, that you can continue to have this church follow you to put the word first and to put you first. Dear Lord, we love you and we thank you for tonight. In the name we pray.